right, great. Are we ready for the Word of God this morning? Yeah, I just believe that the Lord has a download and I believe that it's going to be something that I pray, I pray and hope that you will receive it and you begin to see and, and anticipate Christmas in a much greater and more meaningful way. And uh, this, the title of my message this morning is called Fit for the King. Fit for the King. Uh, ah, yes, that's right. Fit for the King. All right, let's stand to our feet let's, as we read the Word of God together from Matthew chapter 2. Let's give honor and respect to the Word of God. Let's stand together as we read this together. One, two, three. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After they had heard the king, they went to their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is alive. Your word is true. And your word, Father, continues to speak life into every single one of us. We pray, Father, that today's word, Father, will continue to bless. And God will speak life into situations and will bring hope, oh God. And also a deeper understanding of what Christmas really means to each and every one of us. Lord, bless the hearers, oh God. Anoint your speaker, even as I speak your word, oh God. Let there be such a powerful presence of the Lord that is manifested right here in this place. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. 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 Thank you very much. You may be seated. Christmas is just in three days' time. And today is winter solstice. So it's kotong for Chinese. Yeah, yeah. So we're supposed to gather as a family. It's bigger, supposed to be bigger than Chinese New Year. So it is really, you know, all the celebrations are coming up. And, um, and I, I, when I, when the, I was asking the Lord, God, what, what would you want me to preach on? What, what is the message that will bring Christmas? You know, it's just three days away from Christmas. What is the message that will make Christmas even more meaningful to each and every one of us? And this is what the Lord dropped in my heart, fit for the king. And here we read about a story that is actually not so much a Christmas story. This is a post-Christmas story because when the Magis came, it was not during Jesus' birth. Right? It was probably a few weeks or, or even months after Jesus was born. So this is actually a post-Christmas service, right? And a post-Christmas message. But I just felt that there was so much in this particular scripture that when we read it, sometimes we overlook some things that the significance of this particular event that took place. And I, I hope, I pray that today, even as you sit here and as you listen to the word of God, God will put in something fresh in your heart and in your spirit as well. Okay, so let me talk a little bit about the Magi. We read here that... There were, group, there, was a, there were magis that came from the east, right? And uh, they came looking for the king of Jews. Is it okay this morning if I preach and teach a little? Yeah? Can? Can? Can I preach and teach a little? Okay. I, I told the Saturday crowd, I said, teaching is just telling. Preaching is yelling. So it's actually the same. So, 
So, yeah. So what we're going to do is this. I'm going to preach and teach a little, okay? The Magi. Now, in, in our minds and in our, a lot of times that we have been, been taught or, or we've sung the songs, the we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts, we come from afar. You know, have you heard of that song, right? And then we think that, and then we see in the cards, these three men on camels. And, but you know what? Actually, it may not be three. It may not have been just three magi. It's just because that there were three gifts. I'm not sure why. Everybody thinks, the world seems to think that there were only three magi that came. Okay? So, actually, there could have been many, many more. There could have been many more of them that came along in, that, in that, this visit. And it's not just the three of them. But very little has been said. The Bible doesn't mention how many of them came. The fact that very little information was given about these magi clearly shows even Matthew's interest was not focused on these magi themselves. Rather, he was interested in, some, in a few things. And I want us to take note of these few things. We learn from the book of Daniel. In fact, you must understand these magi are not unspoken of, you're not unheard of in the Bible. In the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament itself, there was a lot of talk about these magi. In the book of Daniel, they were, they were called the magi, the wise men, the scholars. And uh, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2 verse 10, and other historical writings, that the magi were members of a priestly group, descended and associated with the Medes and the Persians, and they were astrologers. These were pagans dwelling in the area ancient of, of ancient Babylon. Okay, so their background was largely Eastern religion, and uh, they used science and astrology. Now you understand why they were following a star, because they were astrologers. They were astrologers. They, they studied the stars, they counted, and they knew precisely which stars, what was going to happen, and all that. So, as they were looking at, and then as they were anticipating, so these people were descendants from those times in the book of Daniel. So, some of them had caught certain things that Daniel had taught during his time. And this, the teachings of Daniel had been passed down from one generation to another generation to another generation of Magi. So they, some of them actually were anticipating whatever Daniel forespoke at that point of time about a coming of a Messiah. So at this point of time, now, after so many years, and they have counted all the days, and there was a prophecy even given in, in Daniel that there will be a Messiah that will be born, they counted and they said, hey, this is the timing for this Messiah. And, what, and there is a star in the east. Could it be that this is the real prophetic word that is coming to pass? Could it be that all that is said from years ago during those times in my forefathers' days about this great prophet by the name of Daniel is actually coming true? So, that was the excitement of it. But I want us to, to learn a few things even from these Magi's. Okay, firstly, I like the fact that they were seekers of truth. Seekers of truth. The book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, you must understand, there are the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, right? These three Gospels, they were very similar in their writings. But the similarity in their writings Although they are similar in their writings and in in, in their account of the different things that happened, they were written to different audiences. So the book of Matthew was written to the Jews. Okay? Book of Matthew, the Mark was written to the Romans and Luke was written to the Greeks. 
So there's a very specific audience that they were writing to. Matthew was writing to the Jews. And that's why there was a lot of reference about Jesus being the king of the Jews. Okay? I need you to pay attention because it's very, very important. It's very exciting when you understand it a little bit more. Why would Matthew, writing to the Jews, put this account so clearly even in the first few chapters of his writing? It had nothing to do with the Jews per se, but he was actually pointing out to the fact that these guys, please remember, they are from ancient Babylon. They are not Jews. They have traveled a long, long way to come to find the truth. These were seekers of truth and they were pagans. They were Gentiles. But Matthew included this in his writing so clearly that the Magis came and, and whatever they did when they, found, when they found Jesus, this was something very significant and it, it really blessed my heart. Because to me, it was a writing to, to, to tell me that Jesus didn't come just for the Jews. Jesus came for all. He didn't come for those who are spiritually elite. He didn't come for those who are educated. He didn't come for, for those who knew it all. He came for the, every single person. And he accepted the worship of every single person. That's why the Bible says, those who seek him with all your heart, you will find him. You will find him. And I'm so thankful that Matthew, although writing to the Jews, spoke to every single one of us as well. These magis were seekers of truth. They didn't know, they didn't have, they, they probably knew a lot of things about, about um, the, the word that had been spoken. But they weren't supposed to be the chosen ones. And yet, what they did, they traveled lengths and months and breadth of the, and distance just to look for the king of the Jews. And I pray, perhaps seated amongst us here, some of us here could be still seeking. And there are still many more people out there who are still seeking the truth. There are still so many more out there who want to know, is there a higher being? Is there some power that is real, that, that can control my life and can, can take care of me and can, uh, you know, can change things around for my life? There are still many more seekers out there. I pray that you will be like that guiding star that will invite them to church and that would speak gospel truth to them wherever you meet them as well. Help them encounter God in a way that they themselves will believe and see that there is a true and living God in their lives. Amen? Amen? Yeah? So the Magis were the seekers of truth. Secondly, their intention. Their intention. You must understand that what the Magis brought with them, they brought very valuable gifts. They brought such valuable gifts that were, that were so significant and, and expensive. And they came to worship the King of the Jews. They came to worship the Messiah. The Magis came to give glory to God and they didn't come to get glory. They came to give glory to God. They didn't come to get glory. Their giving was an act of worship. Their giving was an act of worship. When you know who you're worshipping, your giving doesn't matter. 
When you know who you're worshipping, the giving doesn't matter. Nobody, there was nobody else there in that sense other than their, little, their group of the Magi, right? Nobody else was there, no great crowd, no, no fanfare, nobody, you know, no, no huge group of people coming to, to, to say, wow, well done, wow, you gave such a wonderful gift, an expensive gift. There was no need for an audience because all they wanted to do was to worship the audience of one. And I, I pray that that would be our intentions as well. That doesn't matter, you know, yes, we, we appreciate every single person who served. We appreciate every single person who has given. We appreciate every single person who has sacrificed. But you know what? We are all doing this for the audience of one. It's okay, you know, it's, of course, we need acknowledgement. We need, to be, we need to be encouraged and so on and so forth. But you know, this Magi taught us a very important lesson. Nobody even knew their names in every one of the Gospels that mentioned them coming, there is not a single time where their names were even mentioned. And at the end of this year, as you reflect, you know, I pray and hope that there will be moments where you just say, thank you God for the privilege of serving you. Thank, thank you Lord for the privilege of worshipping you because God, it doesn't matter, oh God, it doesn't matter about the, the, the amount of time that was given, the amount of sacrifices that was given, the amount of, of, of finances that was sown out. But God, I know that this was a worship unto you. So this was what the major intentions, their intention was just to give glory to God, not to get any glory for themselves. And thirdly, about these magis were true worship. The Bible tells us this in the book of Matthew. It says, when they arrived to the place, Jesus they came and they, well, the Bible tells us how we read as the Magi's came, they saw the baby and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, I want you to see this. When the Magi's came, they found a, a baby, right? It could have been a baby, it could have been a toddler because they traveled a long time. The star was already there the moment Jesus was born. Perhaps they saw it and they had been following it and trying to find where this star was. So from their journey all the way here, it could have been several weeks, several months before they actually found the baby. So by the time they found the baby, the baby was not an infant. He didn't just come out and he wasn't in a manger. They're probably living in a small shack or a house, right? So he found a baby. The first thing they did was they bowed down and they worshipped him. Look here. Jesus was just a baby. He hadn't performed any miracles yet. He hadn't walked on water. He hadn't turned water into wine. He hadn't healed any sick. There was no, there was, he didn't cast out any demons yet. He didn't, he didn't heal any leper. There was no blind man that was, eyes that were open. They didn't see any of these miracles. Yet, the Bible tells us they bowed down and worship Him. What a form of true worship that is. They worship God for who He was and not what He had done. They worshipped God because they were convinced that this was the Messiah. That this was the King that had come, that had been foretold. And they worshipped God for who He was. 
They didn't worship him because he had done anything. He was just an itty-bitty baby there lying in the manger, perhaps still nursing on Mary. I'm going to say this and you may not like me for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I am convinced that people who only worship God in the good times and when things are smooth don't really know God. Because if you know who God really is, you will worship Him even when your prayers are unanswered. Even when doctor's report doesn't seem good. Even in those hard moments in your life, because he still deserves the worship and the praise that is due his name, because he is still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No matter what the circumstances surround you, he is still God over all. Amen? Amen? Come on, let's give God the glory for that. They taught us true worship because they knew who they were worshipping. Do you know who you're worshipping? That's just my intro, okay? I pray that these three lessons from the, from the Magi, just a little brief thing about them, would encourage you to come before him and to bring him your best offering. Not because he has been just a Santa Claus and this year has been a great year, you know, he's answered all my prayers. Let's be real. It's, there's been lots of ups, there's been also many downs but he is still worthy to be praised because he is sovereign over every circumstance in our lives. Amen? Amen. So let's talk a little bit about the three gifts that they brought. Okay? Um, these wise men brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The treasures the wise men brought were of significant value and prophetic importance. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh are gifts fit for the king. Okay? They were of significant value and prophetic importance. Some may say, yes, historically, this is what they present to the kings. Right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh were, were, were treasures. You know, Even in historical times, there were treasures that would give from one king to another, from one, one, uh, um, one tribe to another. You know, th this is from one country to another. So this was the, the typical gifts. But you know what? There is no such thing as a coincidence. There is no such thing as a coincidence that, that they would give these particular three gifts to this baby. And I want us to explore a little bit and have a little bit of understanding, a greater, sorry, a greater understanding of why these gifts were presented to Jesus so that you and I would be able to appreciate Christmas more, so that you and I would be able to love God more, so that you and I would come with such a consciousness in our hearts that truly this is the King, right? And uh, so let's talk a little bit about the three gifts. Gold. Okay, I don't have real gold, lah, huh? so it's, you have your chocolate coin gold, okay? Gold. 
Gold was a gift that would be presented to kings and it represented royalty. This was a gift that you don't simply give anybody because it is, it is such a precious thing and it's expensive. So at those times, gold was presented to royalty, to king for, dip, for, 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 for diplomatic purposes and so on and so forth. Right? This, uh, it's no, it's, it is so strange that the wise men brought gold to a shack. The wise men brought gold to an insignificant small house. Why did they bring gold to someone that was not even wearing a crown? This was a baby that was in, 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 you know, in a, a place where you don't, you don't bring gold to, to certain places. You don't give gold to, simply give gold to people. Correct? But yet, the wise men brought gold signifying that Jesus was king. The symbolism is so great that they honoured him like how they honoured a king. They gave him gold to this little baby that was in a small house that wasn't even wearing a crown. The wise men did not cuddle him. They did not play with him. Instead, they bowed down and they worshipped him in reverence. This was the offering presented by subjects to their king to pay respect. Gold is symbolic that Christ is king. The gift that was so appropriate and fitting for Jesus and all that he is. Let's look a little bit about the attributes of gold and let us help to, so that we can help to understand why it was so significant to the life of Jesus as well. Firstly, gold is valuable. I don't know how much per gram now gold is, but it's getting more and more. Because gold is scarce, you still, today you still have to mine for gold and it's a difficult process to find gold. You can't go to your backyard now and dig your ground and find gold. If anybody has gold in your backyard, please tell me, I come. No? Because it's hard to find. You can find, you can find earthworms, you can find snails, but you can't find gold in your backyard. It's scarce, it is valuable. For centuries, gold paid the way. For centuries, gold was the means of trade. And you have gold, it measures, the amount of gold you have measures your wealth during those days, right? The amount of gold you have measures, so it's such a valuable thing. Can I say this to you? What Christ did for you and for me is so valuable. When I could not afford access to him, he paid the way. When I could not afford the excess of, for my salvation, He paid the way. Whatever He did on the cross, He paid the way. I could have never been here on my own accord, on my own goodness and on my, my good, own good things that I've done. Christ paid the way. You are only here because Christ paid the way for you and for me. That was how valuable it is. That, was, that is how valuable He is to you and to me. Christ paid the way. No one could afford the price of salvation. No one could be able, the Bible says in, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, it says you were bought at a price. Sometimes we take our salvation for granted because we just say the sinner's prayer and that's it. You know, you enjoy everything else and, and you can worship God and you have access into His presence. But you know what? That salvation came with a price. It was not 
cheap. He went all the way to the cross for you and for me. Secondly, gold was beautiful, is beautiful. Gold is beautiful. If you go to, to the, the goldsmiths nowadays, I don't know, all the pokongs and the tomes and all that, you look at it and how they have carved gold and now all the fancy designs that, that they are. But gold on itself is already very pretty because it's glit, it glitters and, and it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful metal. Bible says this in Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I have asked for from the Lord, that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. Church, I want to say this that this house should host the beautiful Saviour right here in this place. That, we are, that people will be attracted to the beauty of the Lord. The, here says, you know, they didn't come that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the wonderful preaching, to behold the wonderful LED, to behold the wonderful lights. It doesn't say that. They came here because they wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord. And may this place be a place where the beauty of the Lord is always manifested, that people who come in here will see the beauty of the Lord and they will be attracted to the beauty of the Lord. Yeah, the word is, is, is sometimes good. We preach. But you know what? The subject matter is the one that should be attracting people to the house of the Lord. It is all about Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all about what He can do in, our, in and through our lives. And that is the main attraction in this house. Amen? That is the main attraction in this house and in and I pray in all the house of the Lord, all across the world, not anything else, the beauty of the Lord. Thirdly, gold is durable. Gold is durable. Gold does not corrode and it stands through the test of time. It doesn't easily corrode. You don't have gold that tarnishes. Silver tarnishes very easily with oxidation and all these things, right? When you wear silver, sometimes it can turn black, then you've got to get it cleaned. Right? Correct? Are you here? Yes? Good? Yeah? Yeah. Yes, it, it corrodes, but gold doesn't corrode easily. That's why in our wedding vows, usually when we, when we say the wedding vows, and then we go, this is a ring made of, out of, of gold. We, we, that is the standard line in our wedding vows, but nowadays you all use platinum, white gold. So sometimes I cannot say gold. This is a, this is a ring made out of gold that is least tarnished. It's made of a material that is least tarnished and, uh, you know, fittingly, fittingly representing the tie between husband and wife that, you know, it doesn't tarnish and it will last until death do us part. So we, we talk that gold is a durable thing. And you know what, friends? I want to say this to you, that the work of Christ on the cross stands the test of time. The work of Christ on the cross stands the test of time. It is a finished work on the cross that stands the test of time. The work on the cross is powerful yesterday. It's just as powerful yesterday as it is today. The work of the cross that redeems us then, today, it still redeems us. The work of the cross that sets people free then, still sets people free today. The work of the cross that heals all the sicknesses by the stripes He bore on the cross still works today. 
And it's still setting people free. It's still healing people. It's still bringing salvation to the lost. It stands through the test of time. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen. This is the Christ you and I serve. This is a Christ that you and I worship. This is a Christ that can be held on to and you can believe in Him with all your heart because He is consistent. He doesn't change through the season. It doesn't matter what culture we are in. It doesn't matter what the society nowadays believes. His word stands true. It is still a consistent word that goes on and on and on and on. It is durable. And one more thing about gold is this. It survives the fire. It survives the fire. The more fire gold goes through, the more pure it becomes. The more fire gold goes through, the more pure it becomes. Because as it goes through the fire, it burns away all other impurities. As the, the temperature increases, it burns away all other impurities. It burns away all other things that, that causes it to, to be impure. And what you have left at the end of it is pure gold. When you see a gold that is 100%, it's 99.9, it is very expensive because it is pure gold. It survives the fire, leaving behind nothing but just gold. It was the fire of the cross that revealed who Christ was. It was the fire of the cross that revealed who Christ was. If it weren't because of the cross and his resurrection, you would just know of a Jesus that did miracles and was a good man. But because of the fire of the cross, it revealed him for who he was. He is Christ, the Messiah, the one that who lived and who died and who lived and was resurrected to give each and every one of us life. Sometimes we have to go through the fire ourselves. And the fire we go through reveals Christ to us. When we go through the fires, it's to burn away sometimes a lot, of imp- a lot of things that we have put our anchor upon. A lot of times when you go through the fire, everything else, you can't hold on to anything else. And at the end of the day, all you have to hold on to is Christ and Christ alone. And I pray that even as we come to the end of this year, I know some of us may have gone through some really tough times. Would love to, to preach a wonderful prosperity gospel and say, all is well, all is well, God has blessed you. And but we're not, I, I'm not a plastic preacher. I, I'm not here to tell you that everything has been good. No matter how difficult it has been, the fires that you have gone through, the furnaces that you have walked along, through this year and you could still be walking through I want you to know that as those things are happening may Christ be revealed more and more in your life may he be more and more real today than he was ever before as you go through all that you have gone through some weeks ago I had Sister Julie Wong share her testimony in the Saturday service And she talked about how she lost her son to cancer about four years ago, three, four years ago. And what encouraged me was her faith when she said this. My husband, my family and I trust God now even more than we did before. 
the fire you go through will only bring out more of Christ and His reality in your life. So don't be downcasted. You're not alone in the fire. You're not alone in the furnace. God is there with you. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about the second gift. And that was the gift of frankincense. This is real frankincense, by the way. It's real frankincense. Frankincense was a fragrant gum from a tree. And to get this gum, they had to cut through the tree bark and let the resin flow. Just like a little bit like rubber tapping. You know, a little bit like rubber tapping. And uh, so they will let the resin flow. I understand that there are four types of frankincense. I didn't know that. I just found out that there are four types of frankincense in terms of their color. So when the first cut is the purest and the, the most, most prized frankincense, they are greenish and turquoise in color, which you and I will never, which, which generally we won't see. And because that pure frankincense will be given back to whichever country or whichever, uh, which, whichever country that they got it from because it is, it is so pure and it's very expensive. Then comes this green frankincense, greenish frankincense, which is uh, the, second, the second resin that comes forth from this tree. And then the third one is brown, and then the last brown one has a lot, so it's slightly cheaper. And then the last one is black, when it becomes very thick again. And that's when, after that, there will be a cessation from that tree to produce frankincense, the, the, the gum, right? So when they cut this particular frankincense, and uh, uh, it flows out, the gum flows out. The, the things that are collected, whatever that is collected, is known as tears. It's so interesting. The gum was known as tears. Frankincense was something that was so valuable and it was so expensive. Mary and Joseph could not have afforded it. In fact, none of these gifts Mary and Joseph could have afforded. And also that too blesses my heart because you know what? When you can't, you and I cannot afford, God always provides. He always provides. I think there are many of us, if you can sit back today and look at your life, so many things that have happened that you and I could have never achieved on our own, but it was God who made a way where there seemed to be no way. Amen? And when they could not afford such an expensive thing, this was given to them. Frankincense denotes Christ as priest of God. You need to understand the Old Testament a little bit because frankincense always is associated with worship. Leviticus and in Exodus and also Leviticus, if you go back and read it, please get a copy of the Bible reading plan because, you know, it is really arranged in chronological order. Pastor Vincent went through a lot just to, to compile everything together. You know, it, it is going to be very exciting as you read it. But yes, if you read Exodus and in uh, Leviticus, it tells about the temple worship. It tells about the tabernacle worship as well. And how that there was an incense that was, that was uh, that the high priest at that time the high priest at that time had to take before entering into the most holy place. All right. So Leviticus chapter 16 verse 12 says, He is, he as in the high priest then in the Old Testament, he is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord 
and two handfuls of found, finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain into the most holy place, right? And many times this incense, and all the time, sorry, this incense is made of pure frankincense. This incense is made of pure frankincense together with a few other spices, but this has always been a key ingredient in the incense of worship. So it's, frankincense is, it is associated with worship. Only the high priest with that special anointing or with that uncommon anointing could enter into the most holy place. Only he had access into the most holy place. With this incense in his hand, then he would enter into this most holy place. Now, what Jesus did for us on the cross has enabled us not just to be good men, good women, not just for us to feel good. What he did for you and I on the cross has now granted you and I access into the very presence of God. And as a result of that, you don't need a mediator. You don't need a high priest with all this frankincense and all these other things for you to enter into the presence of God. You have direct access into the presence of God. You have now your ability now to worship God on your own. You have the ability now, you have the access right now to sing praises to Him. You have access to worship Him wherever you want. Whenever you want. It doesn't mean only of the day of atonement. It doesn't mean only at a special occasions, only at Christmas and Easter. Every day you have access into the presence of God as a result of what Christ did for us on the cross. And that to me, it is an amazing thing. Can you imagine how ritualistic those days were? They had to go through so much before one high priest could enter into the presence of God. But Jesus coming to earth, dying on the cross, and then ascending back to heaven, he fulfilled all the law. And the Bible tells us he is the chief high priest. He is the chief high priest. And now as a result of what he did, he became the mediator and he's reconciled us back to God. And we have access into the presence of God. I don't, I don't know if you understand what this access means to you. This access means that you have full power and you have full um, uh, ability to call upon the name of the Lord for yourselves and see Him manifest His fullness of His grace and His mercies and His miracles over your life and over your situation. That is what full access is. Those days, only one high priest saw the glory of God. You and I today, you and I can see the glory of God for ourselves. Okay, one person believes it, thank God. Excess. The glory of God. Frankincense. And in those days, in the tabernacle, there was a place of altar where the incense was burning day and night. And this smoke represented the worship of the people of God. It represented the worship of the people of God. Frankincense represents our worship as well. It smells good. Frankincense was produced by wounding the tree. It had to be cut in order for the resin to flow. There was wounds in order for the resin to flow. 
I want to say this to us. Sometimes, you need you and I will have to go through seasons where you will have to worship wounded. You may have to worship wounded. In order for true worship to flow out sometimes, it is through those hard moments and to the pit moments in your life that worship flows out in its purest. How many of us can still worship the Lord even through those dark moments? I know I've been there. It's so hard to sing of the greatness and the goodness of God when you're going through some of the things that you go through. But I want to encourage you that as you do that, the Bible says, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, God will never despise. He will not despise. He desires truth from inside. And sometimes it means to worship wounded. Even when you don't see him moving, even when you don't see your prayers answered. I'm not going to sugarcoat Christianity. This is the reality of life. He doesn't promise us a bed of roses, but he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. He promises that he, will be, he is Emmanuel, God with us. To see us through every single season of our lives. And to teach us that all he wants us to do is keep on worshipping him and trusting him. Amen. Amen. The third gift that the wise men brought is myrrh. Again, this is real myrrh. I, I had to source out frankincense and myrrh. Not very easy, but yes, we found myrrh. Myrrh. Myrrh is also another gum resin that, came, that comes from a thorn bush. It grows about 8 to 10 feet high. And it starts oozing out pale yellow liquid and then solidifies and it turns to dark red-brown. Something like that. And it prefigures Christ's suffering and death. You can say all you want that it was a coincidence that this is, these gifts are gifts of value that they memang always give to royalty and to kings. But I want you to understand this. To give a gift of myrrh is not something that is... Yes, it's a very valuable very valuable gift. But it is not something that you want to gift a baby because it's like how Chinese. Can you imagine coming to a birthday party of a, a, a person, an older person especially, and you give them a clock? Here, happy birthday. I know some of you may not understand. It means song zhong, which means it's like... like um, uh, paying tribute to you at your funeral. You won't give myrrh to 
anyone because myrrh symbolized, was used popular during that time for embalming. For embalming the dead. Because it had an ability to ward off bad smell. It had antibacterial proponents, antiseptic proponents to myrrh. So it was an odd gift to give to a baby. If you give a clock to an old person, they'll be choice. I see. You know why you want to give me a clock? You know why you're trying to say I'm going to die soon? And yet the wise man brought myrrh. The meaning of myrrh in Hebrew, if you can have the next slide, please. In Hebrew, the word is more or bitterness. Bitterness. It prefigures Christ's suffering and his death. Mark 15, oh sorry, Mark 15, 23 and 20, 23. I don't know how come we got 23 and 20, 23. Mark 15, 23, it says this. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the guards offered him vinegar mixed with myrrh. But he did not take it. Why did they offer him vinegar mixed with myrrh? Because myrrh had the ability, it was also an energetic, it was a painkiller as well. Myrrh had the ability to dull the senses. But what happened? Jesus did not take it. I want you to know how amazing your Jesus is, my Jesus is. He wanted to be in full consciousness of every sin that he bore for you, for every sickness that he bore for you. He was in full control and he was in full consciousness that he did what he did. This was what he was purposed to do and he had full consciousness. He did not want to be dulled. He did not want to have any painkillers to to subdue everything that he had to go through for you and for me. They offered him vinegar mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Now you understand why this was written? Sometimes we read scriptures and we just go through it and we we never take note of one, two liners like this. He did not take it because he wanted you and he wanted, he knew that this was what he had to do and he experienced it all on the cross for you and for me. He was not high on drugs. He was not high on anything. He did it all knowing that this was his purpose for you and for me. That's how much he loves you. Secondly, it was at his death that Joseph of Arrhythmia, the one who gave him the the tomb, together with Nicodemus, they went to the tomb. And this was the account in John chapter 19. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance to the Jewish burial customs. They wrapped him with myrrh. They embalmed him with myrrh. Myrrh was a prophetic gift 
because Jesus would die for the sins of the world. He would have to go through the suffering of bitterness in order to fulfill all that he has for his people. These pagans came. The Magi came with these gifts to give to the king of the Jews prophetically. It was a significant gift. These are all significant gifts, but they had also prophetic meanings to each and every one of them. They recognized that the baby that they were going to find was not a normal baby, was not just another baby. This was an infant that had power to do great things when his time came. He didn't grow into his kingship, friends. Jesus didn't grow into his kingship. The moment he was born, he was already king. The moment he was born, he was already king. He was all God and all man, even at birth. Sometimes we think that this little baby, little baby got no power, and only until he reached the age where he was anointed, then suddenly he has power. He had all the power, but he held back that power. At birth, this was a miracle baby already. This was a child that was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He was not born a prince. Yes, the Bible tells us he's the prince of peace, but he was not born a priest, prince. He is born a king. Jesus was born a king. And as a result of him coming to earth and as a result of all that he's done on the cross, he's turned our bitterness into joy. He's turned our mourning into dancing. He knows the sufferings that you and I have to go through. He knows you're talking to a savior that understands pain. You're talking to a saviour that understands hurt. You're talking to a saviour that understands betrayal. You're talking to a saviour who has gone through so much. Who understands what suffering is, what death is. And you can trust in this God who has been through all the way, who came 2,000 years ago, died on the cross, so that you and I can have access into the presence of God. And He is worthy of all our praises. He is worthy of all our worship. He is worthy of all our adoration because of who He is. Amen. Can get the worship team to come, please. The truth is no one else can turn our sorrows to joy nor our failures to victories. We've gone through all that we've gone through, been through different seasons, and it's only by the grace of God and by what He has done that has enabled us to stand here today, to keep on worshipping Him, and to know that He is a God to be behold. We need to behold this King what will you give to Jesus this Christmas? As you come for the Christmas service, the King of Kings service, I pray that you will reflect for yourselves. What would you give to him? Is it your wealth? Is it worship? Is it your witness? that tells people that 
I could have never done this on my own, but because of what Christ did for me, I am where I am. And there are still many more out there who are still seeking the truth. I pray that you will take this opportunity to invite them to your home, to invite them for the services, to invite them for your Christmas parties, to let them see and encounter Jesus for themselves so that they would one day too learn to worship and bow down at his feet for who he is. And I pray that you too will be able to do that. No matter what you've been through, he is still worthy to be praised. Now you understand the significance of these gifts. Some of you want to come and smell. They really have smell, and okay, but please don't take any of you, or else I won't have any to show for second service. <laughs> The birth of Jesus or the coming of the Messiah was prophesied all the way in Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned before God, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the Bible says that there will be a Messiah that will come, that will crush the heel of the serpent. A prophecy that was done many, many, many years ago, was mentioned many years ago, has come to pass. I want you to know that you are serving a God that is faithful. That He is true to His word. Even words that were spoken many years ago, even promises that have not come to pass, He is a faithful God. And you can worship Him even when you can't see Him working. He's still there. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as we worship the Lord this morning. Thank you for watching. Subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out on anything new and stay connected with us on our social media.